Hello, my name is Andrew Gary, and welcome to Seismic Sound Off in depth conversations in applied geophysics. In this episode, I speak with Ja Legault on mining geophysics, the featured special section in February's The Leading Edge. In this conversation, Ja highlights the similarities and differences of mining geophysics with seismic, why now is a great time to be a mining geophysicist, and the growth of machine learning in the field. There's something in this interview for everyone. This episode is sponsored by CGG. Challenges found throughout the mining lifecycle don't get answered without in-depth knowledge. That's why CGG provides data and analysis you need to dig deeper. Gain more insight with CGG Life of Mine Solutions, from exploration studies to tailings and closure monitoring. When you need to dig deeper, CGG can help you see things differently. For Jaws biography and the link to read this month's special section, visit seg.org slash podcast. And now, our conversation. Let's get started here. I'm excited to, to chat with you about this special section on mining. And this is naturally not the first time that the Leading Edge has, has highlighted mining in their special section. So what do you think makes this particular special section? There's a, there's a lot of papers this month. A couple are actually digital only because there were so many papers submitted. What do you think stands out from this special section on mining from previous ones? Well, you know, nine years is a long time between mining sections. Mineral exploration of mining geophysics is not static. It's like anything. There's improvements all the time, and there's new faces and new ideas. And um, this year, I, I think the content is much more international. And uh, this year, it's we're all over the place. I mean, we have it's it's very we come have authors from from Canada, the U.S., but also uh, we have examples from Chile. We have contributions from South America. We have contributions from Australia. So it's much more internationally focused one other difference is you know we we the other two sections had, had a lot more focus on uranium uranium is uh is a technology that uses a wide range of geophysical methods so that's not surprising this year we we, we had the the one uranium focused paper by by lou uh at all but uh it was really more on inversion modeling and finally i i I just want to say that I think this ed- ed- edition has a lot of new faces. A lot of a lot, and that, perhaps that's because you know nine years have passed. But there's there's I don't I I think except for one group I I don't believe I should say I don't believe there are any. I think the lead authors are all new, and they're a mix of young and old, and uh, they're a mix of men and women, and they come from different parts of the world. So I think that's that's an important distinction so to me that and that's what i'm we're brendan and i were most proud of is that variety and the international flavor and i think that's a that's a big element of the of this year's section of course there's new technology that was that was introduced as well but i think those are the standouts for me yeah so there's going to be a lot for the the readers to to get through and and to learn and understand in this wide spectrum of of papers and you know, Lee et al.'s paper has a, a pretty uh, provocative title, I would say. It's called A Paradigm Shift in Magnetic Data Interpretation. How does, how does Lee et al.'s paper highlight the value of using magnetic data for the geophysicist? Lee, um, Yagwa Lee uh, from Colorado School of Mines, he's, um, his paper is actually 
it's actually almost a tutorial on on uh, magnetic inversion, and uh, he's he's very well. Uh, he lays out the difference between in this instance, like I said, it's more about magnetic inversion actually than than just magnetic itself. So he's pointing out issues with magnetic remanence. What magnetic remanence is is when you when a rock is reheated and it's uh, the magnetic minerals. It goes past the Curie point, and the magnetic minerals are reoriented. And what that does is, it means that the the the, uh, the magnetic minerals are not oriented, or at least the magnetization isn't oriented in the same direction as the Earth's magnetic field. And so it makes it very difficult to interpret, right? And if you put that in a like, if you put that in the hands of someone who is not knowledgeable with this, uh, and even with the most knowledgeable, it can it can pose problems. In other words, when you think of what you think is a Magnetic, high magnetic susceptibility portion of the rocker zone might actually be, uh, or, or uh, I should say, low magnetic susceptibility. You, you may think it's a magnetic low when in fact it's it's highly magnetic and it's just the reorientation of the magnetic minerals just due to this magnetization. Anyway, and Lou in his paper uh, shows us the differences between the two and, the, and it's only until recently that inversion programs have been able to actually take that into account. And so I think some of the first uh, some of the first papers that were published uh, have been more recently, and I think that's where most of the work in magnetic inversion that's kind of like caused a rebirth in magnetic three D inversion um, and how people um, approach it. And I and I, I think what he's showing in it, and the great thing in this paper is he shows a, a series of mining examples, not just like not just like lab examples, but true like here's real life situations where if you interpreted the data using your own gut, or your uh, without taking into account this magnetite, this reverse, this remnant magnetism, kind of like what you you know, and what I mean by remnant magnetism is what you see that is the magnetic reversals along the oceanic uh, floor. But in this case, in small scale, and it just so happens that in mining environments, whenever you get these, a lot of mineralization occurs when you when you've got like reheating of rocks. So and uh, of older rocks by new intrusive systems. And so it's, we kind of see um, remnant magnetism a lot in, in, in mineral exploration anyways. Uh, and Yagua and his, and his group actually show us this through all these mining examples. To me, it's, it's a standout. It was, it was one of the best papers that we read. And, um, and he's, you know, when people are so knowledgeable that you don't get buried in uh in jargon, he speaks. He speaks very uh, coherently, precisely. But uh, his papers w- was one of the standouts for uh, for both of us. And kind of speaking of uh, real world use, uh, Lou et al. They use a real world data set to highlight how their method supports mineral exploration, and in part, their method creates these unstructured grids and involves a three step model building process. How does this model, or how does this method, support improved exploration? Well, that's that's a good question, and I'll point out that actually the the, the, the link between the 20, 2008, the twenty twelve, and this year's uh, mining special mining focus section is the fact that uh, uh, Memorial University and Colin Ferguson in particular has, was either an author or co author on all three of those all three papers. So they've they've actually contributed a paper in each one of the years. In, in two thousand and eight, Ferguson introduced was one of the first to come up with the idea of geologically constrained inversion for improving um, accuracy, right? And it's really that's really important in this case because the this year's paper uses geological constraints 
to uh, improve accuracy of drilling for deep targets below 500 meters, right, in the Athabasca Basin. So when in, my, in, in oil terms, 500 meters is about 1,500, 1,600 feet isn't a big deal. In mining terms, it's a big deal. And uh, uranium is, uh, it's not, it's, it's targeting uh, drill holes at those depths uh, is extremely expensive. It's, you're talking multi-million dollars uh, holes. To, to people in the oil business, that's nothing. But in the mining business, economically, that's that's you know we drill hundreds of holes. We don't we don't exploit our, our mineral our ore through holes that, like you would in the oil business. The oil, the exploration well, it doesn't become a producing well. The 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 hole in our the, the drill hole or, or in our business is only meant to identify mineralization and and in other cases to give you give us an idea of the uh, estimates of the ore tonnage within uh, under under rock. So. These these uh, multi-million dollar holes, like they have in Athabasca Basin, they they can't put a whole lot of them out, and they're and they're expensive because the holes deviate, so they have to use a very wide core at the beginning, and it's it's very sophisticated, but and complicated uh, more than we give uh, drillers credit for, you know. And, and in this case, they use those geological constraints to better define the target so that they don't miss uh, the target. So in 2008, I mean, Colin introduced ge- ge- geologically constrained inversion for gravity, and then in 2012, he they they used this. They they pointed out that well, you know, when we we, we have this problem, we try to match uh, geology with our with our constraints, and none of our mesh our model meshes the the physical cells that produce we couldn't we couldn't produce uh, a model mesh that was uh, that was sufficiently uh, accurate to without it being crazy complex and uh, and dense that would slow down the the calculation so much it, it wouldn't work so they come up with this concept of geological constraints using these unstructured meshes and that was for gravity data as well and since then they've they've worked on on magnetics as well that's not that's at the same time but in this case in in 2012 they're they're actually applying these unstructured meshes to em 3d modeling and em is a much more complicated much more challenging uh, inversion. There's many more. Um, there's many more degrees of uncertainty. Uh, electromagnetics is. You have to solve for not only the in in when you're looking at potential fields. Basically, you only you only need to to solve for the three dimensionality of the body of the target body, right? In in electromagnetics, though, you, one has to you you not only you have to deal with the fact that the the, the in this in in magnetics and gravity, the source is more or less two dimensional. So, but in, or even in a sense, one-dimensional, you've got the magnetization orientation. So anyway, but in electromagnetics, the source is three-dimensional. Not only is the geology three-dimensional, but the source is three-dimensional. The, the source fields are always three-dimensional. So this makes the mathematical calculation in 3D inversion way more complicated. And, you'll, and even to this day, even though three-dimensional inversion is kind of like supplanted two-dimensional or one-dimensional inversion for, in magnetics and gravity especially, and you'll also... See it in uh, in in other methods in in electromagnetics. We still in in mineral exploration industry, at least, I would say el- electromagnetics is one of the most wi- is probably this the second most widely used in in, in terms of uh, and I know it is for airborne work, besides uh, magnetics and ahead of gravity probably. But the we we still rely a lot on one one dimensional tools to solve our to kind of like provide images or to help us better understand the the uh, the the EM method. So in this, what they're doing here in three-dimensional inversion of EM is just another step towards 
improving our our familiarity and confidence in three dimensional EM inversion. And uh, and um, and you can actually still you can actually get commercial three D EM inversion done, which wasn't I don't think was the case. Uh, or would have been difficult. I mean, there was a paper of this in 2012, but it would have been difficult even in those days. So we're we're just seeing a a progression in uh, in in uh, in improvements and advancements in in three dimensional inversion. In this case, geology, because geology is um, without geology, our, our, our like we're ta- trying to talk to geologists, and so using geologic constraints is important to transfer that uh, or the understanding between the the two methods. Yeah, I like in that response how you're talking a little bit too about how mining geophysics is a little bit different and, and some of the things that you're looking for that might be uh, maybe an unusual for a, a different type of geophysicist. And, you know, one of the things that in general this field is, is very excited about it, and not just this field, but many other areas is machine learning and artificial intelligence. And what are you particularly excited about with these technologies as they get more adapted for mining geophysics? In mining, in mineral exploration in particular, remember that, that siting of the drill holes, the definition of ore bodies, all of that's done by geologists. And they use it. And geophysics is, is a tool. I mean, exploration dollars, you know, I think uh, in terms of mineral exploration geophysics, I think maybe 5 or 10%. I may be wrong, but it's in that, or it's, it's a small proportion of the exploration budgets in mineral exploration, base metal and gold and all of those combined. Uh, really, it's all about the drilling, and the people that direct the drilling are the geologists. So when we're commun- we we have to communicate to geologists. The long and short of it is this: when I'm doing an interpretation, the interpretation of a geophysical data set depends on my knowledge, but also my experience base and being able to communicate. Hey, listen, this is not just a red blob. This is what this red blob represents, be it a uh, an ore deposit or a or an aquifer. Right? Our job is to communicate that, and some people do it better than others, and and uh, and I and I think that there's a, and one thing is if if you've got more experience in an area you're 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 going to naturally have a better uh, in a particular technique or a particular environment you're going to do a better job, and that's troublesome because uh, sometimes you you if your knowledge of one particular type of geology might bias you, and one way of uh, one way of uh, removing that bias and 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 secondly we have so much information on hand. I mean, you, there's only so many layers of data that a geophysicist can humanly uh, work through. So the so the 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 idea of AI assisted uh, or um, machine learning based in, in based interpretation is really good because it uh, it actually it offers you an objective look at uh, here. You know, I can I can use these self organizing maps to. To provide rather, you know, we a lot of our maps are in colors, right? Here's a red color, here's a blue color. And geologists will look, well, you know, red, it must be important. No, no, in this case, it's, you know, and sometimes we have to say, no, in this case, actually, it's the blue that's important, you know. it's It, it can get complicated. And I think what uh, self-organizing maps is, it produces more or less an objective look at it, at the geophysics, and might actually point out things that the geophysicists actually didn't realize. But that the uh, the computer through machine learning and artificial intelligence is able to come up with. And so what people are, are realizing is, and even geophysicists, you know, we've, we've run the, we've done 3D inversion. Oh, we can, we can combine a 3D mag inversion with a 3D G, uh, gravity inversion with a 3D EM inversion. And, and, and we can have the geology and where we're going to drill next. Who, 
wh- which one's the best target? And I think, and rather than showing clients all of these colors, being able to show them, uh, we use this machine learning or AI-assisted interpretation really, really helps. It helps us get through all of this massive data. And provided that the, the data are good and, and, and it's handled properly, it actually offers us a very exciting new way of looking at our data. And I think this machine learning kind of like takes, takes the objective, it makes it more objective. It said, hey, listen, these are the trends. And if you go back and you look at the data and you can, you can say, yeah, there's the, here's the trends that it sees. And it's, it's providing a geological map that's, that's geophysically based, but it's completely objective. It's not like, uh, you know, my feeling was, you know, here's this, here's where this lineament goes, you know, and, you know, you have a geologist point of view that that is not, it, they call it, they, we'll call it a structure. It's, that's not a structure. That's a, that's a dike. In order to get around that by using these uh, this machine learning, I think you can actually step back and just say, "Hey, listen, yeah, it's obvious that's not a panacea, but I think that's what got people excited, and it certainly got me excited. That objectivity, I think, is what geologists and geophysicists alike, and the speed that's what they like about it. That's why that's why I'm excited. You know, it, when whenever the next uh, special section on on mining geophysics comes out in the leading edge. How do you how do you think these papers, the techniques, the case studies, the tools presented across these papers in this special section will improve the industry and in, kind of lead to the next research for that special section? I'm excited to see the, the the new crop of authors and researchers come up. I hope that we we don't have to wait another you know nine years for that to happen. I, and I think that's that's of concern that you know. Some of the first um, publications in in the SEG, you know, in in, in Spanner, uh, geophysics in, in the 1930s were mining. Like mining has been a, we we may only form five percent of the geophysical population, but we we actually we actually account we actually pull more than our weight in terms of papers. We have we have more than our more you know uh, more than our weight of, of of papers in in the scientific journals. So, and. And you know, with the downturn in the petroleum industry, maybe we'll see a lot more of the talent and mines from that would have otherwise gone to seismic and seismic processing. You know, maybe push into the mining field and improve it uh, that way. I, I, I'm very, uh, I'm excited. I mean, I've I've worked all of my life in in mining and mineral exploration, and um, I, I you know I attended the the show virtually the SEG this fall, and we. And there are a lot of unfamiliar faces that I that I saw in the hall. Just wondering, you know, maybe I maybe I can, you know, change my career path or my research path. Maybe I can get into mining, mining geophysics. Maybe that's something that might interest me. And I think that that's that's what's really um, that's what I think is. I, I think I hope I answered your question, Andrew. Yeah, that's. I mean, I mean, it's a. Uh... This is a great time if someone is looking at maybe a different area of geophysics with this special section. And, and I kind of it kind of leads into this last question I, w- I want to ask. If someone is maybe looking at, you know, trying something new in their career, what is uh, what is one piece of advice you would offer someone that would like to succeed as a geophysicist? I think you need to kind of move to your own strengths. If communication is your strength, do it. I mean, I, I mean, I was. Uh, here in the leading edge, the leading edge. These papers are, and the, and I'll come back again. I always feel that the leading edge isn't about, you know, you exposing your research. It's about you communicating your research to the reader. It's all about the reader, right? That's what leading. That's what the leading edge is about. It's it should be about informing the reader. And I think if I was to give a uh, advice to anybody coming up, is just you know make make sure that you can communicate well and 
and communicate to people who may not know, necessarily know your craft. But I mean, if you want to take on a, a career in you better be, you better be well learned. You you better you better know your stuff. I I really appreciate you highlighting this special section. There's there's a lot of great information to digest for the reader, and I really liked how you describe what the leading edge is as well. That's a that's a lovely way to put it. And and thanks for your efforts in getting these papers to see the light of day. Oh, it's, and it's my pleasure. And like I said, I, 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 same to you. I mean, I was very impressed with your uh, ability in, in reading the papers and, and understanding. And I hope that uh, the readers enjoy this, this year's special section on mining. And I'm sure there'll be something for everyone in it. Thank you for listening to SEG's flagship podcast, Seismic Sound Off. SEG produces these episodes to benefit its members, the geophysics community, and inform the public on the value of the science. To show your support for the show, please share this episode with a friend, colleague, or manager that would enjoy hearing this show. Your recommendation is the single best action you can take on behalf of SEG's podcast. Go to the website at seg.org forward slash podcast to find all the episodes and learn how you can subscribe for free directly on your phone. Original music by Zach Bridges. This episode was hosted, edited, and produced by Andrew Gary at 51 Features. The SEG podcast team is Ted Bakomjian, Jennifer Crockett, Ali McGinnis, and Mick Sweeney. Thank you for listening. This is Seismic Sound Off, signaling off.